You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. We kind of came out of a series for a while, and then we did Christmas last week, and then starting next week, I'm really excited because we're going to start a new series that I've worked out and I'm really excited about. We're going to be going back into the rest of the book of Mark. We started the book of Mark a long time ago and ended it for a bit. Uh, we're going to be finishing the book of Mark, and pretty much we're going to be looking at the, the last week of Christ, uh, the journey to the cross over these next few months. And I'm really, really excited about that. So what that means is today I get to do anything I want because I don't have a series that I'm in and it's not Christmas. Christmas happened last week. So I can preach anything I want. And I was praying this week, God, what do you want me to speak about? And so I feel really, uh, happy about today's message. Um, it might be short, it might be long, because it's kind of freestyle. So it's like I'm, I'm hip-hop rapping right now. That's what I'm doing. Today's, today's message is the hip-hop version of, of messages. Um, but this is the time of the year where we begin to make goals for the next year. Uh, we, everybody makes their New Year's resolutions. And we all begin to set sight on what, what do we plan? What do we think we're going to get out of 2015? Uh, New Year's resolutions. I was talking to Martin recently, and he said that... 90% of people who make the New Year's resolution, resolution to join a gym and lose weight quit going to the gym by President's Day. Correct? I got that. So that is a stat that Martin made up. No, he found that somewhere. 90% of people who say, I'm going to lose weight within the first month say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm not going to the gym anymore. Every, I have a gym membership, which is kind of a waste of a lot of money. I Typically, I might go once a month, honestly. So I don't quit my dream. I just keep starting it every other month for about a day or two. But I notice January, the gym is packed. You go to the gym in January, and you're standing in line for a half hour for a treadmill. It's just like, I can't do this. By February, it's just you and the maintenance man just polishing the floor. We have these goals sometimes. Maybe that's not your goal. Maybe you're thinking about this new year. You're not going to lose weight. That's not a goal for you. For me, it is, honestly, because I got sick about two months ago, really sick. I don't know if you guys remember that, like really, really sick, couldn't eat food for like 18 days. I lost 20 pounds, well, 17. Since then, I've gained 23 pounds, so I'm up some right now. I'm greater than. I am greater than I used to be. Um, so my goal is to get back into, I bought these jeans at the end of that, and now I barely got into them today. So just being honest, but I threw away all my fat clothes, so all I got is skinny stuff left. So it's, it's a bad place that I'm in because I'm too poor to buy new, new fat clothes, just being honest. Um, so I'm, that's one of my goals. I need to get to the gym, consistently lose some weight. Other of you, it's a new job or a new relationship or, I, you know, I'll find this, maybe this is the year that I will find that woman or I'll, or I'll fix that broken relationship or, or I'll, I'll be a better person. Maybe I'll quit smoking or I'll quit this habit or I'll, I'll watch less TV or I'll journal more or I'll pursue that dream. You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe you have a goal in mind or a vision for the way you'd like to see 2015 end. Like this is what I want to look like in a year from now. Maybe you'll be more of a giving person. You'll volunteer, you know. We all have these nice aspirations in our mind for how good of a person I'll be next year. I will give to the poor. I will be at the soup kitchen. I will, I will be less angry. All these things. And then how many of us know at the end of that year, we're like, I didn't go to the soup kitchen once. <laughs> I, I was still as angry and violent in traffic as I was beforehand. I, I still scream and honk my horn a lot. Like, at the end of the year, we have this idea, that wasn't, that wasn't a confession, by the way, that was like a, a generalized statement, so 
I don't honk my horn too much sometimes, but not too much. Um, but we have this idea, but then we don't really develop like a really realistic plan to how to get there. You know what I'm saying? There's not like a process that we've really worked out well. Or we start the process and when we realize it's more difficult than we expect it to be, so we instantly go back and say, well, I'll do that later. And at the end of the year, later never happened. We all know what I'm talking about. My, one of my biggest problems in my personal life, and I will tell you this now, I recognize one of my greatest weaknesses is I am a tremendous procrastinator. I, I will have great dreams and great visions and think I will be better at this or I'll do this better, but I procrastinate. Um, in high school and middle school, truthfully, truthfully, most of my classes came incredibly easy to me. I would study in homeroom for a test, and I'd get a B, B-plus on it. I didn't really have a hard time. And I would come back home at the end of the, the semester or the, the quarter with an A-minus, a B-plus, B-minus, and my mom would go, you could have done better. And my sister, on the other hand, she would literally, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, she would stay up for hours if there was a small history test. She would have flashcards over her entire floor. And for three, like three, four days beforehand, she'd be in her bedroom studying these flashcards, just flipping them over, just studying hard. And she'd get a C minus. And my mom would be ecstatic. Like she just did the best thing ever. And that would frustrate me thinking, Mom, Jessica, her name is Jessica, Jesse and Jessica. It wasn't very creative, I know that. You guys can go ahead and process. Go ahead and think about it. Apparently she wanted twins. Didn't happen. We were two years apart. So she still decided, I'm just going to name them like they're twins. Doesn't make a lot of sense. But anyway, Jesse and Jessica. So Jessica would study for days and get a C- and be applauded. I would study for five minutes and get a B plus and get... You could have done better. And it would drive me nuts, but the truth is I could have done better. I could have studied and got an A plus or an A minus or, or something like that. I could have done better, but I was a procrastinator and I didn't do much. Um, I just didn't. I didn't try. And I think when we make goals in our life, some of us can get that way. We can say, yeah, I'll, I'll get there. In a year from now, I'll be that person. But then a year from now, we recognize I didn't really try very hard. I didn't really do what I wanted to do. I didn't get there because I didn't put the work into it. And this morning, as we look at this next year, I wonder what are your goals? Because you, maybe you, you do work really hard and you lose a lot of weight or you get a better career or you fix your relationship or you, whatever, feel more confident or you are a nicer person. The truth is all of those things are temporary. All those things are good goals, but they're temporary. And I wonder how many of us think, as we approach this next year, God, I want to be in a different spiritual place than I am already. I want to know you more at this time next year than what I do now. I want to experience your love more. I want to see your giftings coming out of my life a lot, lot more this time next year than I do now. How many of us is that our goal? And that, honestly, I'm not looking for a raise of hands. I'm, I'm saying, how many of us think, God, where am I going with you? What am I doing for your kingdom this year? It's really easy for us to look at the material things and say, these are my goals. Loss of weight, more money, better life, happier life, more joy and not less anger, whatever it is. And look at those things and say, that's my goal. But we have a hard time saying, God, I want to really, really know you, and I want to be used by you. 
See, we see in the Westminster Catechism that it says that the chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. We talk about this all the time with city lights because we really do believe it. We believe that ultimate joy is found in knowing and experiencing God. Jesus says this. I want you to, John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. We see in Corinthians that we're told to earnestly and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I want to point out two things. I just talked about Jesus. He says, he says this, and I think this is brilliant because we don't always recognize this as real. He says, whoever believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water, rivers of life, coming out of them on a daily, regular basis. This is something that you and I should be living. When was the last time you looked at yourself and thought, man, rivers of living water just coming out of me? Everywhere I go, rivers of water, rivers of life everywhere I go. I look at my life this year, and there are moments I'm like, yeah, God's spirit did something there. There Yeah, you did something there, God. But I also look at the last year and say, I don't know if I'd call that rivers of living water flowing out of me because I believe and I've found the spirit of Christ on a daily basis. I hope you're understanding me. Paul says to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. In Scripture, over and over again, we see that Scripture tells us constantly the idea of seeking and finding, asking for things, and knocking at the door and it will be opened, desiring God, hungering for God, thirsting after God, panting like a deer for the water, the psalmist says. There's this constant idea of seeking and desiring and knocking and asking and pursuing God. And I think in my life and I think in reality, how much of my life is pursuing God and going after him and how much of my life is just kind of like letting him come to me? Like, God, if you want to speak to me, you'll teach me on Sunday morning. God, if you want to speak to me, then you will play a nice Christmas or Christian song on the radio as I'm skimming through the radio stations. God, if you want to speak to me, then you'll find me. But we see the opposite in Scripture, that when we run to him, he runs to us. But how so many of us want to start off with this goal saying, God, I really want to know you, really want to know you. But then we don't do anything. Because the moment we begin to try to do anything, we realize it's pretty hard. It's hard to get up in the morning. It's hard to, to pray. It's hard to spend time in devotions. It's hard to seek his face. It's hard to, it's hard to do these things. But Paul says earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And I wonder... What does a life look like that earnestly desires the spiritual gifts and realizes that they are supposed to be rivers of living water pouring out of them? This time next year, I want rivers of living water pouring out of me in ways more evident than what I'm seeing currently at this moment. That's my goal. I want to say, God, I I see you way more now or way more then. 2015, the end of it, I want to say, God, I see you way more now pouring out of me now than I did then, which is today. So there you go. Man, we're doing quantum physics or something here this morning. Time loops, time leaps. See, I want to I tell you this. There is, 
there is more in you and for you than where you currently are and what you even know. There is more of God's presence. There's more of the giftings of the Spirit. There's more of a reality of the joy of Christ, of knowing him and being satisfied in him than where you're currently at. So many of us as believers, because we've walked through church services for years or generations, decades, whatever, we've walked through this long period of church services, we kind of have come to expect this time next year, God will be about the same in my life. And if that's the way you're thinking, then you don't know who God is. If you're thinking there's no more for you, then you don't know who he is. I'm reminded of, uh, this is in my notes, I'm reminded of the parable of the talents, where the master goes out, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A master leaves and he gives his servants, his three servants, different amounts of talents, coins or money and value. And the one takes and he invests it and he gets it increased. The other one takes his little bit and invests it and gets it increased. But the third one says, I don't want my master to be mad at me, so I'm just going to dig a hole, I'm going to bury it, cover it up, and then I'll have the same amount. And the master comes back, and he calls him evil because he doesn't understand who the master is. So he takes that talent and gives it somewhere else. If you think that what you currently have is all that God's got for you, then you don't understand who the master is. You don't recognize that there's supposed to be rivers of living water pouring out of you. Paul tells us, eagerly desire more of the spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. The greatest of the gifts is love, but especially prophesy. He's saying it's open season on the gifts. Desire gifts. God does give each person a gift and a grace on their life, a specific one, but it's okay to desire more, to go after his presence more, to seek and find, to knock, to desire and hunger and thirst. It's okay to want him more than you currently do. I got one amen on that. And my mouth is dry. It's okay. When I spend more time, I'm just, let me tell you honest stories here. When I spend more time in his presence, when I spend more time seeking him, I see more fruit and I see really incredible things coming out of my life that I didn't expect to happen before whether it's healing or prophecy or just inner, like peace or just righteousness in general, I see these things happen. Let me give you two prime examples. Uh, the first time I went to South Africa on a missions trip, I was 17 years old. And as a 17-year-old, I realized I'm not a, a great pastor or a world-renowned evangelist. I'm a 17-year-old kid, just graduated high school. Actually, I think I just turned 18. And I'm on my way to Africa, and I knew my friend was going to say, go out and preach, go out and speak. So let me be honest, I studied hard the scripture. When, you're, when you know it's coming that you're going to be asked to pray for the sick and to go speak to people and tell them about Jesus, you pray pretty hard. You just do. So I prayed hard and I, I went after God and I found some verses that really filled me. But I, I'll never forget the day that I'm 18 years old and I walk into this guy. We weren't even supposed to be at this house. We weren't even supposed to be there. We were supposed to go pray for another sick person, but they didn't answer their door for some reason. So another lady said, hey, why don't you come to this friend of mine? He's been paralyzed for three years because he had a stroke and this side of his body is completely paralyzed. Can you just come and pray with him? And my, I went in with my friend's mom. I went with my friend's mom and me into this house and we prayed with this guy. And after about 20 minutes of prayer, he started moving his side of the body that he hadn't moved before. He was able to raise his left arm or right arm. He was able to raise it, and his family's in tears. When you see something like that, because you just prayed for somebody who's been sick for three years, is kind of shocking. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced it or not, but I was like, did that really just happen when I prayed for that person? I remember the next time I went to South Africa, we were told to just do street witnessing. And I, I hadn't gone to Bible college at this time. I really didn't have much education with theology. And I remember reading a verse that day that said, in, in Proverbs 17, it says, Preparations for the heart of man, but the answer to the tongue is from the Lord. And I knew that if I was just seeking after God, he would speak through me. So we get to this village where I didn't know anybody, and I walk up to this guy, which is not me. I'm not a natural uh, extrovert. I'm not a natural, like, go up and say, hey, let me pray for you. I'm not that guy naturally. But that moment I realized this is what God wants me to do. So I walk up to this guy and ask him some questions. And he, start, he starts telling me about ancestry worship, which is what he's grown up with. And he starts to ask me, how is Jesus better than my ancestors? And all of a sudden, for about a half hour, I'm just giving him good answers, like legit good answers. And my friend who had known me for years was with me. They just sit down on the ground for a little bit. So about a half hour, I'm having this conversation with him. At the end of the conversation, she goes, who was that guy? Who were you in that moment? Because that's not the Jesse that I know. When you spend time in his presence, you can be a completely different person. Rivers of living water will come out of you if you spend time in his presence and seeking him. Then we can go back and say, God, you did that through me. You did that. And then we begin to spend time in our own presence and we forget about him. And next thing you know, you're not doing anything like that. You're not seeing healings. You're not seeing. You couldn't even tell somebody the, the Romans road to salvation. You have no idea where John 3.16 is. You're like, I don't know. Because you're spending time in your own presence. But when you begin to spend time in his presence, rivers of living water flow out. See, you and I were made to have rivers of living water flowing out of us. We were created for that. We were created to be the temple of his Holy Spirit, to let his spirit be alive in us and through us. The, um, um, Bill Johnson, who's a pastor out in California, he says this. He says, a glass of water is not really full until it overflows. Similarly, The fullness of the Spirit in our lives is measured by the overflow of the Spirit through us in order to touch the world around us. I love that. A glass of water isn't completely full until it's right there to overflow. There's still room left. And we talk about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. If we're really, really filled with the Spirit, if we're saying, God, I want to live in your presence, I want your Spirit filling me, there should be an overflow. There should be stuff coming out because we're completely full to the the very top. You guys understand what he's saying there? We should live in that state of saying, God, I want to be overflowing with the presence, with your spirit. There should be rivers of living water. There should be your spirit pouring out of me. The other week, Jared preached the message where he was talking about how we, we've kind of defaulted to these two different things. That we can be this very analytical thinker society. That everything that's, that's Christian is a thought concept. Let me understand these concepts. Let me get the, the scientific approach to how God works. So we can begin to think about theology and understanding the biblical hermeneutics of everything. That's a Bible college word, hermeneutics. It's great. And it was incredibly boring my first year because I was also young and, and dumb and I didn't care. But hermeneutics, like, we can be very analytical of things. That's, the, that's our society. And then he was talking about you can be the opposite, which is honestly traditional Pentecostalism um, or tradi- the original 
Catholic Church even, that were born before the Enlightenment, where everything was anal- analyzed and, and system, systematic, you know, where it was more spiritual. These are spiritual concepts. So he called the two, you can either be this thinker or you can be a kisser. Everything is emotional. And in a relationship, he was saying, how, how many good marriages work out to where you say, yeah, I'm a good husband. I don't ever kiss her. We, we, never, we never hug. We never kiss. There's no, none of that. No feelings or emotions. But we understand each other. I've written a good book on her behaviors, and I understand her. I am a good thinker. That's not really a healthy marriage. It's not really a healthy relationship. But then you have the other side where I don't know who she is. I don't, I don't care at all. I just, I just love to kiss her. I just love hugging and being with her. I could care less about what she wants. I don't understand what she's saying to me at all. Her words mean nothing. That's not a healthy relationship either. And the gospel and, and scripture doesn't allow us to do that. Jared was talking about we can't be just thinkers and we can't be just kissers. We've got to understand doctrine. We've got to understand who God is and what he's taught us through the revelation of the scripture. But we also got to be people who recognize that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in me and we are supposed to be people of his presence. We spend time in his presence enjoying him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's an experience factor here. And so many of people, of Christians in America, we don't experience the goodness of God. We conceptualize it. Like, oh, yeah, God, I think you came through at that moment. I can write it down. But we don't really experience his presence. I hope you understand what I'm talking about this morning. We get the concept without ever experiencing it. It's like, it's like do you ever see the movie Hook? The old, the old Captain Hook movie? Scared me as a kid, not going to lie. A lot of movies scared me as a kid. But it's kind of like this idea of, of a concept without experience. Remember the scene in Hook where the, the lost boys are all eaten, but there's no food there? They're just pretending to eat food. Like, oh, look at this big steak. And they're just gobbling down. And, like, the one kid doesn't get it, that there's really nothing there. And then by the end of that scene, they all are like, oh, yeah, I can see it now. And they're, like, having an imaginary food fight. That's what it is to just be thinkers, that we, we – we conceptually get the joy of the Lord. We conceptually understand it, but we're not actually experiencing it. We're not actually experiencing the rivers of living water flowing out. We're not actually seeing the gifts of God pouring out in his church. We understand the ideas of prophecy and of healing and of hospitality and of you know, service or whatever. There's a lot of gifts, and some of them are very extreme. Some of them are pretty common. But we conceptually get the idea, but we're not actually experiencing it in a real way. I want to be a people that experiences it, too. I want to know this time next year that I've experienced living waters pouring out of me, that I've sought after, that I've gone after, that I've tasted and seen, that I've seeked him with all of my heart, that I seek first the kingdom in everything that I do. Matthew thirteen forty four says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. Field, Verse 45, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. See, he says that the kingdom of God is something that we seek after, that we go after and we sell and forget everything else for the prize of his kingdom. 
of the value. We recognize that, that who he is and his kingdom is of more value than anything else. And so we'll go after it completely. It's a treasure that you have to pursue. Funny, funny story, um, speaking of treasure, it kind of just popped in my head. My kids watch some cartoons, and there's one, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, and then they're always looking at the map for the X. We were driving through Hershey the other day, and um, there was like, you ever see like the big fields with ha- that have like plants and stuff that are kind of, you know what I'm talking about, that spell letters? Well, Faith saw an X, and she thought we should be turning around to getting, the, getting that treasure. She literally said, can we go dig that over there? And we're like, no, you can't just go digging in people's yards for treasure. It doesn't work that way. And the other day I was talking about, um, I was driving back from, from uh, my hometown yesterday. And I mentioned, I was talking to Haley about the size of Pennsylvania and about, you know, she thought it was the same size of Africa. And I said, no, I'll, I'll point it out to you on a map later. And Faith, I thought she was sleeping. She's like, her head's, her, she's just like this. And I said to Haley, I said, you know, I'll point it out to you on my map later. Faith goes like this. You have a map? Just like that. She's, she's thinking like Dora the Explorer. I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. She's just like stoked about this map. It's true. It just happened. Kids are awesome. But like when we see that the kingdom of heaven is a valuable treasure and time in his presence is more joy than anything else, We'll sell all that we have. We'll forget about all of our other goals and pursue him. We'll go after him. There's a, there's a journey. There's, there's a cost. I love that the gospel is this, that we didn't run to Christ, that he ran to us first. But throughout scripture, there is this concept that if you want to experience God, you've got to run to him a little bit. You've got to spend time in his word. I preached a few months ago about how many Americans, we want that quick fix. We want that quick answer to the problem in our life. We don't want to spend time digging into the scriptures and asking God to speak to us and build up our character and build up the word in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. We don't want to do that. We want to run to the pastor and say, Pastor, I'm really struggling. Give me an answer. And I'm not saying don't do that if you're struggling. I'll help you. But if the scripture, if man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God, and here we have it, in today's age, all of us have this. It's available for us. But if we don't feed ourselves, but Sunday morning is the only time we come and get a word from God, a little meal, a spiritual meal, we get our quick fix, but then we wait till the next week to do it. How many of you would give up eating from Sunday till Sunday and expect it to be a healthy lifestyle? We wouldn't do it. We'd eat three times a day. But yet spiritually, which is the thing that we live off of, the, con- the, thi- the very thing, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God, we wait till Sunday. God, I'll, I'll eat again on Sunday. You would look at that person who physically eats on Sunday and say, you're nuts. Go get a meal. Here, grab a Snickers. You're acting crazy. We would do that. But spiritually, we're like, oh, it's cool. We'll go to the pastor next Sunday. I heard there's going to be a great worship service. And I saw his thing on Facebook. He's got a new message coming out. We make up all these excuses for why we don't eat all week long. There is an idea throughout Scripture that we need to seek his presence. We need to run after him, and he guarantees us that he'll run to us. That if you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's a process to this, and I want to be the person this year that says, I have sought after God, and I have found him, and there are rivers of living water coming out of me more than there was last year. We have this mindset that God or the pastor will give me my whole spiritual experience 
or satisfaction. And if that's, if that's what your mindset is, then, then you probably, you might stumble into a little bit of spiritual health. Or you'll just get my extra, whatever comes out of me. God has more for you than that. God has more of his presence than what you stumble into or what you get from me. Or from Kenny singing or from Martin giving a word. God's got more for you than that this year. God wants you to seek and enjoy him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This, um, this, this past week, I was, yesterday, I, was, I went out with my brother-in-law in the morning and we shot some guns off. We were shooting guns at his, his uh, brother's house. He lives out in the woods. We weren't just like in the city shooting guns off. It wasn't like that. But uh, so we're out there and we're shooting guns. And I'm honestly, I don't shoot very often guns. Maybe once every couple of years. I'm a great shot, not going to lie. When I was a kid, I was probably about eight years old. My grandfather, he was like, hey, I'm going to take you out. We're going to shoot rifles. So he's like, he lays this rifle out on like a bag of sand. He's, he's, my grandfather's like, he raises deer in the country for a living. That's, and he was a lumberjack before that. So you're allowed to shoot rifles where he lives. So we lay these bag of sands out, sets up the target. He shoots his rifle off like five, six times. Did pretty good. I'm eight years old, shooting his rifle, same spot, not a fake target. We switched out targets. I walked with him. My grandfather could not believe that I hit, like, right around the bullseye every time at eight years old. I was a good shot, not going to lie. Yesterday, I went out, and uh, we shot a 9 millimeter. And uh, my first two shots didn't even hit the target, just and I'm like, wait, where'd it go? I'm a good shot. I'm great at laser tag consistently. I know I'm good. Um, and Dan's like, you got to go slow with the trigger. You're going too quick. So I'm like, okay. Slowly pull the trigger. Four shots all hit within like the same zone of where I was aiming. I took my time with it. So like, I'm, and Dan, Dan, my brother-in-law was like, I'm surprised how good of a shot you are. A couple summers ago, I'm with... Um, with a, a kids camp in Vermont. I was part of my, my uh, college ministry team. We were supposed to go to these kids camps and, and just help them with, uh, we did human videos, we did worship, and we did preaching. We get there, and this guy looks at me and he says, hey, we're kind of short on staff. I need you to teach archery. I said, I've never shot a bow before in my life. He's like, it's okay, it's not that hard. And he just kind of gave me a quick tutor- uh, tutorial, tutorial, is that how you say it? Tutorial, tutorial. <laughs> so he gets the, we get the bow out. we're out in a big field, and there's a big haystack with a nice big bullseye right on it. He's got this bullseye, and I'm standing there, and I took a few shots. I did okay. Nothing fantastic because, you know, it was bow, and I was learning. This next group of of teenagers comes up, and I'm standing there, and like, hey, you're teaching us us archery. I'm like, yeah. I said, I'm a really good shot, too. I was just kidding, and I literally did this. I took the bow, went straight Robin Hood on it, like sideways, not even straight. I pulled that back, let it go, straight through the bullseye, out the other side. The kids were like, oh my gosh, Mr. Jesse's fantastic. I'm like, yes I am. That was amazing. How did that happen? Oh dear God, how am I going to teach them that? That's, it was, literally, for the rest of the week, I couldn't do it again. I'm, I'm there taking my time, I could not hit that bullseye again. See, when we have something that we're aiming at, when we have a goal, we have a couple different approaches. Some of us can be naturally pretty good, and we can shoot. 
But the, the trick, though, is with, with yesterday when I shot with Dan, some of us can just come out blazing like, I can do this. And the moment we try and we fail, we miss it, we give up on it. But that moment that I took my time and I said, this is how it's got to work. And I took that slow pull and I said, these are my steps. I hit the target. The moment you try really, really hard, the moment you take that time and that practice, you can hit it. And I wonder, spiritually speaking, what are we aiming at? Are you trying to hit the bullseye? Are you trying to go grow in Christ this year? Or are you just hoping that you're a gunslinger and like, and you miss it and then you're frustrated and you wonder why you fell in the sin or you wonder why the healing didn't happen or you wonder why you didn't see God answer the prayer the same way. You're frustrated right away. What is your process of getting there? What are, what are you looking at this next year and saying, God, this is how I'm going to pursue you? Because if you start in January saying, God, I want to know you better, but you never pick up your Bible, if you never spend time in your word, if you never just sit and say, God, speak to me, if you never go to the, the homeless shelters, if you never give yourself opportunity to let rivers of living water flow out of you, it's not going to happen. You're going to miss every time. And you'll look at the end of the year next year and you'll say, I never hit the bullseye. I never did anything I wanted to do. It's not going to just happen for you. It's not going to be like my bow shot where it just happened. That, you might get some little bit of rivers of living water or moments where God speaks to you, but it's not going to happen consistently unless there's a real aim and a real strategy and a real focus. You're not just going to hit the bullseye. You're not just going to all of a sudden stumble upon. It's the same way is true with the other goals that I said. It's not like next year at this time you're like, oh, all of a sudden I'm skinny. I got new jeans. It's not going to work that way. Maybe, but probably not. 90% not. It's not going to work that way. How are you aiming? Are you just hoping to get lucky and somehow God's going to pour out his rivers of living water or new spiritual gifts? Or are you actually desiring spiritual gifts this year? Are you seeking him? I want to read another quote. If the worship team can come forward here. I want to recommend a really fantastic book that I'm going to quote out of. It's a classic, actually, it's Desiring God by John Piper. And he says this early on in the book. He says this. He says, God is not worshipped where he is not treasured and enjoyed. Praise is not an alternative to joy, but the expression of joy. Not to enjoy God is to dishonor him. To say to him that something else satisfies you more is the opposite of worship. It is sacrilege. If you and I want to worship God, we've got to treasure him. We've got to learn what it is to enjoy him. We've got to go after him. Or we're not worshiping him. If he's not our ultimate joy, our ultimate treasure, then it's not worship, it's sacrilege. I want to look at my heart next year and say, I've worshipped you. I had rivers of living water pouring out of me consistently because I believed in you and I found you to be my ultimate joy, my ultimate delight, my ultimate treasure. Jesus says this in John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth.
have this incredible choice going into this new year to say, God, am I pursuing you? Am I worshiping you in spirit and in truth? Am I building my life on these things? Am I seeking you? Am I a true worshiper this year? Am I living living water coming out of me? What's your goal spiritually this year? To say the same or to experience more of him in your life? You'll never hear somebody say, I really regret seeking God's presence. You know, God poured through me this year and I really didn't like it at all. Man, God's presence was incredibly boring. Did not enjoy that at all. You won't hear that. What you'll hear is, that was amazing. I can't believe God did this. I have to remember that God did this. I have to hang on to that moment. You see Israel do that over and over again, especially in the book of Judges, where they they seek God, God delivers them, they say, well, remember it, then they forget it, and then they're in captivity again. And then they say, God, we need you, and it's a cycle. I don't want to live that cycle. I don't. I want to seek him, spend time in his presence, and stay in his presence. I want to stay in that place where I desire him, that he is the treasure above all other treasures, that I'd sell everything else for his kingdom and for who he is. I want to live in that space. I want to live in that mindset. It's funny, I was talking to somebody the other week, and he said, you know, it's really hard to sin when you're in his presence. That's absolutely true. It's really, really difficult to fall into sin when you're spending time enjoying God and knowing him and feeling his love. It's really hard. Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe your struggle is a sin somehow, some, some sin. And you're like, I can't get through this. But then I would encourage you to spend more time in his presence because it's difficult. It's difficult to go against him when you're with him, when you're loved by him. Let's stand as we go into worship this morning. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge this church. I hope this time next year we see way more of his spirit being poured out in our services and in our lifestyles and in our home groups than we currently do. I hope at this time next year that you and I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The truth is there's not like this moment that we have got the full goodness of God encapsulated, that we've seen all of it. Because the truth is you and I can live for a thousand years and still be seeing more and more of God's glory, more and more of his goodness being poured out in us. I want that. I want to keep seeing more. I don't want to see less. I don't want to get bored. I want to, I want to keep pursuing it more. What's your plan? What's your strategy this year? What's your goal this year to go after him? Let's worship him.